morning. I don't know if there's uh, any scarier feeling than feeling like you're losing your voice uh, when you're in front of a, a large group of people. Uh, well done. I probably would have uh, tripped over that sentence myself. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Um, my name is Young, a pastor here at New Life. It's definitely my pleasure to be with you. Um, we're in our sermon series, Heavenly Heart, Earthly Sinners, and we're nearly finished with the sermon series. We're only uh, two weeks out from WinterCon, which is really, really exciting. Uh, throughout the sermon series, we've been examining Jesus' heart on earth for sinners and in order to see his heart in heaven towards us. And we've been seeing that the same heart that met with sinners on earth now intercedes for us in heaven. And so that's been kind of the tagline that we've been going through. The same heart that met with sinners on earth now intercedes for us in heaven. And so if this is a conclusion that we're coming to in the sermon series, and if this is the tagline, then we have to consider this is what we believe about Jesus. You know, this is how he sees us. This is how he continues to pray for us. Then surely we must cultivate our relationship with him as well. This is the conclusion that we should be coming to. Surely we must pray. Okay, and so with that in mind, how about I pray for us, and then we'll get into the word. Uh, Father, we gather together this morning, and we gather together knowing, Lord, that we uh, may not feel very worthy to come to you, to make our requests known to you. We may not know even what's on our hearts. We don't even know what we desire tomorrow or the next day or, or next year. And yet you do. You know our hearts to their very core. You know us, Lord, from the moment we wake up to the moment we lay down. You know us from life's beginning until life's end. You see everything, and you're always listening. Your disposition towards us is good, is gracious, is welcoming, is warm, is gentle. And so we sometimes struggle to know that you do welcome us. Would you help us with this? Would you clear this up in our hearts and our minds that we might be able to approach you, that we might be able to pray to you, that we might be able to ask all the things that are upon our hearts, that we might believe in faith and know that you are good. We ask, Lord, that you would do this mighty work in our congregation this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would move in our church that you would move in each and every single one of our hearts. The spirit and the bride say, come. And so we ask, Lord, that you would move in us, that you would help us indeed to know that we are loved by you, that you love us, that you love to answer us, that you love to hear from us. Help us to raise our voices. Help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer is lacking in the church. Now, I don't know how you feel about this statement. Prayer is lacking in the church. Do you agree? Prayer is lacking in the church. You know, maybe if you're in the prayer ministry, you feel this more strongly as you gather together and you wonder, why isn't this ministry bigger? Or maybe if you come for pre-service prayer in the morning, you feel this as well. Why isn't our hall bursting at the seams? You know, we can speak more generally about the church worldwide, and we can talk about the many numerous books 
the essays that are written all about prayer and how it's lacking the prayerlessness of the church worldwide. But if we talk specifically about us, new life, where are we at with this? Would you call us a praying church? When you describe us to your friends, when you describe us to your family, would you say, you need to come, we're a praying church. We would love to pray for you. Whatever is going on in your life, we know that God has the answer, so we want to pray for you. Is this the way that you would characterize new life? Now, our opening uh, verses, John 14, 10 to 12, read this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus here, he's appealing for faith. He's asking for faith from his disciples. He's asking for faith from us. And if we have faith, what happens? If we have faith, what is it? What do we do? My family lived in America when we were growing up. Um, my dad, because he you know, went over as a man in his 20s, 30s, he didn't speak much English, and so he got a job working at a flea market. You guys know what a flea market is? I think it's called something, I think it's still called this in Australia, right? Flea market, collector's market. I saw it on Wikipedia, trash and treasure market, but I've never heard anyone in my life say it, so I don't know. Um, basically, he would go and he would set up a bunch of stuff to sell and people would come and buy it. And he might buy other things to sell. And sometimes I'd go with him, okay? At a very early age, when my mom was studying or when she was doing her part-time job, I would go with him, I'd just kind of wander around the markets. I don't know if I'd ever let my child do this these days, but, you know, it was a little bit different back then. And I'd look at all the different tables where there's old trinkets and toys and, and a bunch of stuff that's just on sale. I look at my pockets, I have nothing. You know, I'd, I'd wander around, eventually I'd find myself. I, I think I've told you this, this before, I grew up with a lot of video games, and so I'd end up at a stall with a bunch of video games where everything was 10 to $20. And I would think, oh, I need to come with $20. I need to come and get these things. I remember around the time when I was 10 years old, I was you know, hanging out with the neighborhood kids, and someone from our neighborhood was talking about selling some of her old video games, her collection that she had. And then when people asked, you know, how much are you expecting to get for it? She said, maybe five bucks each. You know, that would be really good. Now, have you ever made a very big promise to someone? Have you ever made a very big promise without knowing what it is that you're really promising and where this promise is going to take you? I didn't know this person at all. She was a friend of a friend of a friend. She's just in the neighborhood. She's older than me. But to me, $5 for a video game seemed very, very cheap. It seemed like it was like bottom of the barrel. Surely we can get more than this. And so I spoke up and I told her, hey, we can get more at the flea market. Like, there's no way it's $5. And she's like grabbing me by the shoulders like, how much are you thinking? 
and I tell her, I've seen these games, maybe $20 each. We can definitely get $20 each. I just take them to the stall, they'll buy it off me, $20. And in my 10-year-old brain, I didn't really understand economics. I didn't understand that the man selling these things is not going to buy them for the same price that he's selling them for. But I made this promise to her. I said, give me, that, give me, the, give me the games. I'll sell them for you. So I took a small box of games with me. They're sitting in my house, and then next time my dad goes to the flea market, I'm excited. I'm like, man, I'm going to do this really good deed. I go, and I very distinctly remember this horrible sinking feeling when I go to the stall, and the man's like, yeah, I'll give you five bucks each. The exact price that she had said, five dollars each. And I was like, come again? <laughs> like, surely you said the wrong thing. Surely you said the wrong price. And no matter where I went, they all said the exact same thing. And so, of course, I went back to that friend and confessed the error of my ways. No, I didn't. I actually avoided her for the next few months. And I was like, I'm not going outside. There's no way I'm going to play. I don't want to play. I just want to sit in my room. Avoided her for months, and it was the bane of my existence. Every, every afternoon when I would get home from school, and I wanted to play video games, and I would look, and there's that box staring back at me like, you thief, give these games back, <laughs> confess your ways. John 14, 12 to 14 is kind of the crux of what we're looking at today. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus makes a very big promise here. It's an enormous promise. It's much bigger. You know, it's on a different level from the promise that I've made. It's a promise far beyond our wildest dreams. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And this promise is enough that an unbelieving person, that a person that doesn't believe in Jesus, might stop, and if they're superstitious enough, they might think, oh, what's the harm? Maybe I'll pray. Let me get this thing. But it's a promise that's far beyond money. It's a promise that's far beyond possessions or whatever we might have in mind. And it's quite telling of our hearts that this is where we go when we read something like this. When we hear something like this, this is where a lot of our hearts go. Our imaginations are small. We think about things on this life only. And Jesus says, the one who believes in me, the person with faith, will do the works that I do. And in fact, he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, what's the nature of this promise? Like, if we just read this verse at bare face value, ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What are you reading here? You know, how do you hear this promise? How does your heart react to it? Do you get excited thinking about what you could possibly ask for, thinking about the things that you've been thinking about all the days of your life, Or are you filled with doubt? I know how this goes. 
I'm just going to get disappointed. Why get my hopes up? We won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but one thing that we want to get today is just pray. That's where we want to end up. Just do it. Just pray. Because a pair of verses from James speaks to our hearts. James 4, verses 2 to 3 reads this, and then there's one more after this. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask for nothing, and lo and behold, you received it. James 1, 5 to 8 reads this, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. But just pray. Just do it. Just pray. Regardless of the result or the lack of a desired result, you know, whatever we might be thinking, whatever we might have in our minds when we pray, I've had prayers answered nearly a decade after I prayed them, after I've forgotten to keep praying them. They must not have been that important in my heart, no matter how much I said this is the number one thing in my life that I want answered. But our prayers are more important to our God than they are to us. They are. So pray. If you consider the promise of God, even at a level different to how we might interpret this verse, prayer is worth it every single time. The amount of time you spend in prayer is nothing compared to what you receive back. You must pray. There's no other way to put it. So what are these greater works that Jesus is talking about? Once again, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I've heard this verse alongside with the rest of this passage, misused and abused over the years. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Where some have put themselves on a pedestal above God, saying, of course, I can do greater than the Son of God himself. So let's be clear about this. When it's talking about these greater works, surely it can't just be talking about more that we do. Like, it's not just talking about the amount of stuff that we do as a church, more that the followers of Jesus do. Because some might interpret this verse to be that the church, just by virtue of being around on earth for more earthly years than Jesus in physical form, will do more, will do more for people. Just by virtue of being around for longer, will take in more people, will provide for more people, and they say, this is what greater works means. This must be it. It's such an uninspired reading of the promise by Jesus, isn't it? Like you read that. Why wouldn't he just say more? 
And there's plenty of words that he could have used there instead of greater works in their original language. Why not just say more? But equally, it can't possibly mean more spectacular, more mind-blowing works than what Jesus himself did. Because who's going to do something more spectacular? I don't know when the last time it is that you raise someone from the dead. I don't know when that is. Please talk to me if you did. I would love to... I would love for you to pray for me. More, what's more out of the ordinary than raising Lazarus from the dead? What's more out of the ordinary than praying for a blind man and you receive sight, praying for the lame man and he begins to walk? This isn't what he talks about when he's talking about greater works. Because please don't forget the second part of the verse when you read greater works than these. When it says... Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Because Jesus is going to the Father, that bolded part there, we will do greater works than these. What does Jesus going to the Father do? What does that accomplish for us? Why is this so crucial for us doing greater works? Because before Jesus goes to the Father, his works do much. Everything that we read about in the Gospels, we're seeing these things, like Lazarus coming back from the dead, like all these different things, healing, resurrection, all of this. And yet there seems to remain this veil over people's eyes. Because the miracles and the words that are spoken are only received in part, just at bare face value. You read John 6 and you read about the multiplication of bread. You read about the multiplication of food and what does he respond to the thousands that are gathered there? You just came because you want food. That's all you want. You're not seeing what's behind this. But Jesus is going to the Father and he's going to be glorified upon the cross and his resurrection and for us, his followers, we receive a revelation by the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes. We know who he is. And it causes us to know Jesus and what he does. And that moves us into a new era. It moves us into a new age where the works that we do by the power of the Holy Spirit are all in the name of the Son of God and reveal him to the people that receive these things. Before the cross, revealing God to people could not happen fully. Because who's doing these works? What's the point of these works if there is no death and resurrection? And now from where we stand, we have the privilege of taking part in the greater work of unveiling the living God to this world. We have the privilege of sharing the gospel with others with bringing the peace of God to the people that need peace the most, with taking part in the works that Jesus did. But the important part there, the part that we're focusing on, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Those bolded sections. These greater things must take place after Jesus has gone to the Father because all of these things are dependent, are products of the disciples' prayers in Jesus' name. Now we said in the beginning that prayer is lacking in the church. 
What about in your walk with God? Let's move away from the church. What about in your personal walk with God? Are you seeing the answer to the prayers that you're praying? Are you praying? John 15, 16, Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. There's that promise again. But when it comes to prayer, fruitfulness is key to your prayers. It should both shape your prayers and it should also be the result of your prayers. This fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about here. And fruitfulness is the measure of what springs forth in your relationship with God. As you continue to grow in your relationship with God, you produce fruit. It's a relationship that's built upon the foundation of trust, like we've seen in previous weeks. But not just trust. You talk to any of our married couples at church about the building blocks of their relationship. Is it just trust? You don't talk to each other? Surely, you'll find that they'll say, communication is key. You gotta talk to each other. So fruitfulness is the product of your prayers in Jesus' name. Our faith and our Christian lives are lacking. We're not fruitful because we don't pray. We don't ask in prayer And so, of course, we don't depend on God. And we don't have because we don't ask. One of my pet peeves uh, when working in a shared office space, I used to work outside of the church before uh, becoming a Christian, is when things are left uh, very dirty or disorganized. You know, you're in a shared space together. We're civilized people, right? You know, we're in the 21st century, and you would think we'd all be very civilized. Like, let's say, for example, in a shared bathroom, if stalls are constantly missing toilet paper and you find out too late, you know, uh, or it's left soiled, like, this is even worse. Like, you go in, and you're like, you don't want to see that. You know, like, you're going to, it's just horror, right? Like, I don't know if you've experienced this. You know, I I hear that there's not a very big difference between the male and female toilets. I I wouldn't know, but I can only assume. But what if I tell you this? I talk to you about how I hate when my coworkers do that. It's just the worst. And so you ask me, man, how do your coworkers respond when you tell them that you hate this, that this is your pet peeve? And then I get all shy, and I'm like, well, I haven't said anything. I don't tell them anything. I can't. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not confrontational. I can't tell them. What would you think? Should I just expect things to get magically better? The toilet just cleans itself, or the person wakes up and they think, man, I resolved to be a cleaner person around the office just out of nowhere. Maybe, maybe personal hygiene and just you know, thoughtfulness to others is a different ballgame, but let's say this, okay? Communication. We're standing just a couple of weeks out from winter cone, but even more importantly, we're here today. We're here now. 
You know, there's never a better time to pray than now. It's always going to be now. If you've ever worried, ever in your life, not even if you worry now, but if you've ever worried about the eternal well-being of your family or friends, pray. Now. Today. If you feel distant from God, pray. If you're scared, if you're anxious, if you're happy, if you're sad, if you're uncertain, no matter where you're at in your life or what you're going through, just pray. Just do it. Ask for and receive his love. He doesn't withhold it from you. He's loving, he's gentle, and he welcomes you. Jesus is so deeply in love with you that he wants to hear from you. That he would literally die rather than not have you at all. And in fact, Jesus not only calls upon us to pray to him, but his promise is also that he'll pray for us. Hebrews 7 reads this. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. You might have seen this verse before. I mean, you gotta highlight that. You gotta like underline and circle, save and completely, because some of us have doubts about that. And always, always, he always lives to intercede for us, every moment of your life, and this is love. There's great evidence of this love in the communion as well. You know, this is Jesus' invitation to come to the table of God, of the Father, alongside our brothers and sisters. It's an invitation that can only be made by the son of the family himself. He's not a stranger. He's not someone who just invites us and he doesn't have any reason to. He's a son of the family. And when we come to the table together, we remember what our loving Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. He died in our place so that we could live, so that we could do greater works than these. He died for us rather than losing us. We also refuse to place ourselves above Jesus. Instead, we declare our present-day reality that we need him, that we need to depend on him, we teach ourselves through prayer, through things like the communion, we can't do it on our own. And so we need his grace to carry us through. We take this bread and this cup to signify how we need God to renew his grace daily in our lives, like our daily meal. It's representative of our daily meal. And we see a glimpse of the future as well, when Jesus will come again, when faith will be made sight, where we're gonna rise to join him in a kingdom with no tears, no pain, no death, and no end. Now here at New Life, we celebrate and participate together in the communion on the first Sunday of each month. Please listen to the reading of the scripture together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now this invitation that the Lord Jesus gives, it's a reminder that it's who he is. It's his identity rather than ours. It's what he did rather than what we didn't do or what we did do that brings us to the table. We're under his righteousness when we approach the table, not our own. And this is a measure of comfort for us as well because however far we might feel, however long it's been since the last time that we took communion, maybe it's the first time ever the invitation is there. And so we invite you to place your faith in Jesus for his grace and your salvation as well. Join us for the communion and then let us know if this is the first time ever so that we can follow up with you. I'm gonna invite New Life's ministry directors. They're gonna come to the front of each aisle and we'll also have one who's gonna be attending to the uh, parents' room, the children's ministry, and the volunteers. Now the ministry director who's roaming, he's, that person's gonna have a gluten-free communion as well for those with allergies or with intolerances. If that's you, uh, we ask that you stay either near the multimedia room or near the parents' room and receive the gluten-free communion. Um, yeah, once they're up here, please come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion, take it back to your seats, and then wait for the rest of us so that we can all be served and that we can also all take it together.